somebody's been praying in this community. And that last song that the worship team uh, was leading us into, into the presence of God, I just felt those prayers. Some of you have been praying some strong prayers uh, for the community, in particular uh, for this immediate community, even spreading out into the campus. And uh, I just want to thank God this morning for what God is going to do and is already doing um, going into this fall. And uh, I, just wanna, I just wanna recognize, I just wanted to share that with you, what I was feeling at the end there at the worship. I just felt like people really have been praying uh, for this community for an awakening, uh, for a revival of sorts that is unique to this community. And so we just thank God for that. I thank God for you. Uh, thank God for Love Chapel Hill. Um, grateful for my good friend, George uh, McLaughlin, who traveled with me. He's a fellow missioner from Mission House. Uh, thank God for your hospitality. Thank you, uh, Pastor Matt, for uh, opening this up. And uh, thank you for your friendship and your partnership in the gospel. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, you speak to your people. I won't be long for you with you this uh, this morning. I'm going to John chapter six. And I'll be reading from verses 60 through 70. And before I, I'm not going to read the whole passage now, but I want to focus in on a particular passage or particular verse in that passage before I begin to share with you. And it's in Luke 6, verse 63. Um, Jesus drops uh, an atomic bomb of truth on the disciples. Luke 6, 63, Jesus says, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Amen. So let me forewarn you in advance. I am a Pentecostal by spiritual birthright. So I know that there's a timer in front of me. So I just, I want to blame Jesus in advance before I share the word with you. So I might get a little happy. Today may be a slow build, but just bear with me. We have a lot of ground to cover in such a short time. I want to start by saying this to you, and this may be an odd way to begin a sermon but I want to tell you something about me personally. I am God-haunted. <laughs> I don't mean that in a conjuring-type part two kind of way. I mean in a way that God won't leave me alone. Anybody identify with that? 
And so, you know, and the thing is, is that, you know, it's, it's strange being God haunted or Jesus haunted or word haunted in a world that wants to lull you to a sleep, to bring you into a place of what I would call disenchantment. See, some of you don't know me, many, some of you, a few of you do, but some of my own personal history is that I was not born in a church house, a church-going household. I was not born in a religious and raised in a religious home. As a matter of fact, I was an atheist by the t- from the time I was a preteen until my early 20s. I did not believe that God existed. Part of that had to do with my own personal, we have any philosophy majors in the house today? Any theologians? We got a few raising hands. Okay, good. Um, I grew up with a personal theodicy. I had an issue with God. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama um, in the 70s and the 80s, so I saw a lot that disenchanted me. I saw friends get killed from gang initiations and gunfire. I had friends uh, get caught up in the drug gang. I experienced personally as a child domestic violence. Um, I saw racism. I remember growing up in the 70s and 80s in Birmingham, seeing the Klan march through my own community, bearing crosses, holding Bibles. And I remember going to church as a kid, and um, when my my grandmother would drag me off to church, because my parents were not going, my parents were not going to set foot in the church. When my grandmother would take me to church, I always thought it was the strangest thing to see black people in this traditional Baptist setting Worshiping white Jesus, it didn't make sense to me. And for a long time, I think I mentioned this before, that I thought Jesus was British. (laughs) Think about it. King James, you know, I'm a a kid, right? And I, I grew up in a strange household. I grew up around a lot of books as a child. My mom had my room full of books, and I remember 12 years old, my mom gave me a copy of the Communist Manifesto, and she made sure I read the page where, Paul, where, uh, where Karl Marx says, you know, religion is the opiate of the masses. And so she drilled that in me as a, as a child, and so I became quite disenchanted very early on as a child. And I remember just, you know, fast forward to my grandma taking me to church, I'm look at these black folks worshiping white Jesus. Marx is right. And I was taught the history really, really, very early about slavery and oppression, about Jim Crow. And so I was taught all these things at a very early age. And so as a child, taking that all in at an early age and not really being exposed to the deeper love of Jesus, radical liberationist Jesus that I will encounter later in my own life, I was trapped to see this kind of oppressive British Jesus who hung out with people that were British on a picture in, in the black church behind the baptistry, there was a picture of these white folks on the table eating the last supper with Jesus. And then the King James Version, the Bible people speaking in an in English language that none of my own people even spoke. And so I grew up disenchanted. And I remember also my best friend in high school was shot and killed by a gang member. And I just remember thinking, going to his memorial service, and people saying things like, God is good. Really? There was a reason for this. God had a purpose. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. 
That didn't sound good to my disenchanted heart and to my disenchanted eyes. I saw something. I didn't see anything, actually. I saw nothing. I just saw people just struggling with religious belief and believing in things that did not make sense to me. Then as I got older in my 20s, I encountered the gospel. My life became interrupted, disrupted by the Word of God in a small storefront Pentecostal church outside of Seattle, Washington. In a little room about an eighth the size of this room, packed with like 50 people, doing things I've never seen religious people do before. We were Pentecostal. But what I remember, though, is that my life was disrupted by the Word of God, by this life and words of Jesus. For for the first time in my life, my eyes, my soul were directed to the words of Jesus in the Gospels, the red. Even to this day, I tell people as a pastor, as I'm engaging people in discipleship, I'm telling them, stay in the red. If you go anywhere in the Scriptures, stay in the red, at least in the red. And so I remember my life being disrupted by this Jesus, deeply impacted by the life that he led and the words that he taught and the things that he had. And I remember just in that moment, I'll never forget it. And so I'm Pentecostal. We're good about giving dates of when we experienced Jesus. January 2nd, 1994. I remember going in to that service. The day before that service, a friend of mine had just came to Christ and they would have their Bible open. I remember looking this Bible, and I was like, man, this is, these are words, these are letters written by dead people that have no meaning, that have no purpose. They were no different than fairy tales and myths. i never forget going into this church service, and the Holy Spirit took a hold of me. And no longer were they dead letters, dead people. They became living words by a living God. And from that day on, as hard as I tried, this God still haunts me. (laughs) Now, see, here's the thing, y'all. See, we live in a culture of disenchantment where you can have an experience of Jesus, right? And and this is part of my own story, right? You can have these Jesus experiences. You can be very profoundly impacted by the G, the presence of Christ through the word of God, but you can still struggle with who Jesus is, who God is here. And I forget, when I did become a Christian, I remember thinking to myself, one, oh my, this is real. Raise your hands if you've ever seen Scooby-Doo. Y'all probably seen the new one. I grew up in the 70s, 80s, you know. And Scooby-Doo's look, you change a little bit. So everybody knows the basic narrative, right? Everybody knows the plot, right? But we live in a culture that Scooby-Dooifies us. How so? Remember Scooby-Doo. How's it always set up, right? There's always this small town where they're being haunted by ghosts or a monster or something. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And, and the townspeople get scared and they evacuate and then they say, no, Scooby and his pals, they roll up in the mystery machine. <laughs> Y'all remember this? Yeah. That green, ugly, 
So what we see in the culture is people have a longing for a story that is bigger than this story of disenchantment. We can't even escape it. Though we're disenchanted, we want to so be so badly enchanted. We want to really believe that this stuff is real, that God is in the world, that spirit is moving, that Jesus is Lord, that, that there is a spiritual reality, that there are demons, that there are angels in the world. But we're taught that these are just simply myths. But yet we long for them. Isn't that interesting? <coughs> our hearts want more, but our minds are disenchanted. <laughs> hmm. Let's go to our passage. And we find ourselves in this passage in John chapter 6 in a similar plight with the disciples. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about what precedes this, just except to say that uh, in the lead up to John chapter 6, some really crazy things have happened through Jesus. Jesus had fed 5,000 folk fish and bread, had a major, major fish fry on the lawn <laughs> of the church. <laughs> Y'all seen fish fries? Fish fries? Uh, uh, fish fries? We have them all the time in our community. So, which is a miracle. Jesus walks on water. Right? And so, you can imagine the disciples like, man, this dude is bad. He is the man. They are enchanted at this point. They, this, is, this is real. There's this something really special about this guy. And they're soaking it all in. They have these Jesus encounters, these Jesus experiences that opens up their imagination and their hearts to the reality of God working through Jesus and they are blown away by this but then Jesus ends up in an anticlimactic way and that's the thing about Jesus sometimes Jesus won't let us get to the climax right he'll build us up and then he'll just drop something on us it's like what <laughs> So you can imagine Jesus like, yeah, man, I fed the 5,000. Y'all seen this, right? Y'all see me walk on water. You see me do miracles. And yes, my teaching can be quite profound. And, and I'm like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, we'll follow you everywhere. Jesus, we love you, man. We believe you. Yeah. And also I want y'all to eat me and drink me. <laughs> That's what he says. At the, right before we tell this story here. He says, yeah, eat me and drink me. <laughs> what? <laughs> they are scandalized. They're tripped up. Everything Jesus says to you will not make sense. There are things that Jesus will say to you through his word that will scandalize you. That will trip you up. Throw you for a loop. Surprise you. Difficult to believe. Hard to think about. Verse 60 says this. After Jesus says all this. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? 
aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And that word offend there is in the English is a very Kool-Aid, light sugar version of what uh, Jesus is saying. He's saying, does this trip you up? Does this mess you up? Does this make you run away? Does this make you not believe in me anymore? Does this cause you to run away from me? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Man, just adding more stuff. Like, okay. <laughs> the Spirit gives life, and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. Now, you got to understand that Jesus is saying this after he has fed 5,000 people and walked on water. I don't know about you, but I, there's moments and seasons in my own life like, man, I wish I was there because I really would have believed. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and which would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And this is a hard word. Because in many ways, <coughs> while we live in a culture that constantly lulls us, to, lulls us to sleep in disenchantment, while we live in a culture that constantly puts the veil, that wants to keep the veil up over our eyes, what Jesus, the implication of what Jesus is saying here is that there's actually very little that you can do to believe. He said you can't do, he's not saying that you can't do anything. He's just saying like there is no five point plan or no seven steps to this and that to believe in me. Unless the father pre-believes something into you. Unless you've been touched in some way by God, by heaven, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You do not have the capacity to look beyond disenchantment, to look beyond the veil of disbelief, or to open one's heart to the reality of Christ. Paul, I mean not Paul, but Jesus, or the writer here, Jesus is saying that unless the Father does something, enables you, empowers you, gives you the ability to, to he graces you. In our own tradition, we talk about prevenient grace. How the Holy Spirit goes ahead of our disbelief and does something on the ground floor of our souls. And even though that happens, that doesn't make us immune to disenchantment. So we all go through these seasons like the disciples in this passage. When we are scandalized by the words of Jesus, there will be moments of disenchantment. But something happens when we truly and deeply begin to pay attention and to drink deeply and to taste and enjoy the words of Jesus. Jesus says that his words are full 
of the spirit and of life. And this is heavy, man. Y'all know from scripture that the Bible says that the pre-incarnate word, Jesus, the word that made flesh, the Bible says in different places that God used the word, as a matter of fact, in John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And all things came into being through this word. The old, in Colossians, Paul talks about all things being held together by the word of God. So the thing is, here's Jesus, and it's interesting that we're in the Gospel of John, in the, in the beginning of John, John lets you know who this Jesus is, this seemingly just human Jesus is. He is the Word of God made flesh, the one who was present at the moment of creation when God called nothingness into somethingness. Chaos into harmony and order. So when Jesus says, Yo, the words that I speak, I've spoken them before. At the moment of creation, when I spoke to nothingness, to the abyss, to, to, to chaos and confusion, I spoke into nothingness, and nothingness became somethingness. And this is the power of Jesus' words. I can, I can just see God on the throne like, man, my word is so powerful that even non-existence obeys my word. Even nothingness hears the word and obeys. It becomes something. But of all of creation, the only part of creation where that is not as easy as everything else is human beings. Isn't that interesting? God can speak to non-existence and something happens. But sometimes God speaks to us. Maybe it happens. <laughs> Maybe it happens. It may not happen now. Maybe it'll happen later. But you add into the ingredient of that disenchantment. And so there's something about the words of Jesus. They're full of life. And they are full of spirit. God somehow, in some powerful and mysterious way, God energizes Jesus' words. That God's word is creative, it's redemptive, it's able to rescue us from darkness, it's able to pierce through the veil of disenchantment. So Jesus says, as a gift, the African American English translation. Some of y'all call it ebonics. <laughs> this is actually legitimate trans uh, English, right? Y'all know this, right? African American English is a legitimate English form of English. It really is, sir. So anyway, that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all realize that we don't even speak English. We speak American English. According to the British, that's not even like real English. <laughs> I, just, I just think it's funny when I say I'm speaking American English. That's not English. Like, well, you ain't speaking English. <laughs> Talk to your friends across the pond. They'll tell you. 
<laughs> so Jesus, in African American English, his words are heavy. Bruh. His words are heavy. And they're piercing. And they're creative. And they're redeeming. They rescue. They shine. They bling. His words are heavy. Because they are backed. They are rooted in the very being of who God is. Primarily through his love. God's words are rooted in his love. And so when God speaks, and if we're paying attention, if we begin to do our own part in being open to God to, to be able to look past our own disenchantment, there's something that powerful happens when we open ourselves to the words of Jesus. I can hear the Spirit say, <laughs> I can hear Jesus say, I got words for you, man. I got words for you, bro. I got a word for you, sister. Oh, I got some words for you. But I need you to see. I need you to work with me. I need you to begin the work to pull back the veils of disenchantment in your own life. Because I got some things that I want to share with you. Because it is the words of Jesus that penetrate and open up us to perceive the love of the Father. It is, if you remember the words of Jesus, that we read in the Gospels knowing that Jesus got words for us. That it is these very words that are life. They infuse life. They inject life into our very souls. And when we open ourselves up, and how do we do that? And I know people are going to say, well, okay, Pastor, we, how do we do that? And, you know, so you're going to tell me the same old stuff like, okay, read my Bible. <laughs> Pray. Do all the stuff that Christians are supposed to do. Because it's just the right thing to do. <clears throat> and that's usually where we start. Right? It's just the right thing to do. And in some cases, we're taught that it's just the, kind of like the moral thing to kind of do. But I'm here to tell you this morning that what Jesus has to offer is more than just morality and just being a good person. But what Jesus wants to do is open your life, open your heart to the powerful presence of the Father through the Holy Spirit where your life will never be the same again, where you truly become a new kind of human being, where you are human redemptive, human redeemed, human brought back from the power of the devil, human brought back from the powers and principalities that will try to keep your mind blinded to the reality of God in this world. 
And it starts with, what do you do? Yes, you read your Bible. Yes, I'm going to tell you that. Read your Bible. (laughs) But just don't read your Bible to be a good person. Read your Bible so that your heart can be open and you can give your life in full abandon to the move of God that's happening in your life and in this community, on the street, in these neighborhoods. Read your Bible so that God can interrupt your life, disrupt the course and direction of your current existence. Read your Bible so that the Holy Spirit literally can take a hold of you. I'm telling you right now, what the world needs is more than just policy change. What the world needs is powerful people being checked. But what the world needs now are children of God who give their lives to full abandon to the love of God. Amen. Amen. This is what we need. This is what the world needs right now. They need people caught on fire with the love of God who have wrestled with the hard sayings of Jesus. See, people who are abandoned are people who have been at some point scandalized by the words of Jesus. Because that revelation was hard fought. (laughs) So just remember that. Read your Bible. Know that you're wrestling with lullabies of disenchantment. Don't be naive. There are stories. There are rhythms in our culture. There are bylines, means that seek to disenchant you, to blind you to the reality of God at work in this world. That's a part of getting ready. That's a part of pulling back drawing back the curtain of disenchantment, realizing that you're wrestling with this reality in our culture and in your own life. Pray. Even when you don't feel like praying. And this is the Pentecostal in me. And I don't know how gracious this may sound. And I'm not talking about works righteousness here. But there's something about when you don't feel like it. See, we live in a culture where people are constantly taught to be almost completely led by their emotions and their feelings like, you know, if you don't feel like it, just don't do it. Not saying that we don't express our emotions, we don't share and articulate how we feel about something, but oftentimes we don't press through Read your word. Pray through. And they say in my old church, till you get a blessing. (laughs) Pray till you catch on fire. Read the word of God till you read the Bible. You're like, man, this is boring as all get out. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you, Keep reading until the word of God grabs you. My God. Keep reading till something shimmers in your soul. Keep reading till something grabs your heart and your imagination. You'll be like, oh Lord, 
My God, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You are truly good, Lord. You've shown me something beautiful. And Lord, I will meditate on it day and night. Thank you. What do we do together? What can we do together as a church, as a community, as partners in the gospel? One thing we can do, y'all, when we're dealing with the words of Jesus, and I love this life in the spirit, right? I love, I love that language there. Life in the spirit. What can we do to anticipate the move of God in our lives and in the world around us? I'm telling you right now that there is something bubbling under the surface here. The first thing you can do is not even profound. It's so simple. Expect. <laughs> Expect something greater or smaller. Expect something. <laughs> Let the words of Jesus transform your expectations. Let the words of Jesus blow up your expectations and shift them and morph them. Be enchanted. Engage in those disciplines of enchantment. I know. I noticed here's walking in. Uh, the pastors here have set up a table of practices and disciplines that y'all can do together as communities. I want to challenge you to re-engage that. If you're not engaged into that, re-engage that so you can become re-enchanted again with God. So that God can pull forth, pull down the veil of this enchantment upon us. And release us and send us into the world around us with the fire of the gospel. Only in grace is God. Lord, we thank you for this time together. God, we thank you, Lord, for the move of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your people here gathered. God, we pray, oh God, that their hearts will continually engage you, God. Lord, open our minds. Open our hearts and our imaginations to receive from you the disruptive love of the Father. A love that's unconditional and beyond all imagining. God, let us re-engage together your words. In Jesus' name.